Brothers and sisters, I have to admit something to all of you, and I hope you can keep it a secret. I'm a nerd. <laughs> but I'm a very specific kind of nerd. Maybe the worst kind of nerd. I'm a board game nerd. When we hear board games, we think of you know, perfectly reasonable, normal games like Scrabble and Risk and Monopoly. Not me, I'm afraid. That just doesn't cut it for me. I need one of those boxes that's the size of a Cadillac with a rule manual that could choke a horse where you spend an hour setting it up and explaining the rules and then it takes another three hours to finish the game. I'm just getting excited thinking about it. Now, with something that heavy, something that complicated, these board game designers are very smart. They want to make all of the work to learn the rules of the game engaging, so they wrap it with an imaginative theme, and so often that theme comes from the realm of fantasy. Dragons, wizards, spells, swords. And so often in the course of those game mechanics, these board game designers want to help you along, you know, maybe help plan out a, a next turn or your future moves. And so they'll include maybe a card or, or maybe a special power that a character has in the game that they call prophecy. That lets you look at the next couple of cards that are coming up in the deck. Or maybe you can set some things up on the board that are going to pay off in the future. But these fantasy elements, this fantasy prophecy, is always about what's going to come next. See, these board game developers are smart, even though they're working with this complicated rule set that takes an hour to explain, working with this fantasy kind of theme to help the game uh, digest a little bit easier. They're still playing off of something that we all assume. That when we talk about prophets and we talk about prophecy, we're thinking about the future. And even in modern day terms, even outside the realm of nerddom, we would love a prophet. There are lots of talking heads on TV that try to present themselves as prophets, especially as we get deeper and deeper into election season. People who can predict accurately what's going to happen next. And we really want to know what's going to happen next. We want a prophet just to see what the next couple of things to come up are going to be to plan for that future. Whatever kind of prophecy that is, that kind of future casting, that kind of fortune telling... It is not the prophecy of the Bible. Because a prophet, like me, says Moses, is going to follow after me. But what kind of prophet has Moses been? Moses has not been a prophet to predict the future. Moses, rather, has been proclaiming what God is doing right now, Moses has been a prophet of God's liberation, speaking to Pharaoh not in the future tense, but in the present and in a command, let my people go. 
And even out in the desert, Moses has spoken in the present tense. This is what the Lord God asks of you to do, to be a people of his own, to follow his laws, his ways, to be freed from other false gods and live according to the Lord's law. He proclaims an end of bondage in Egypt and the beginning of Israel's life as a holy nation. And he promises that a prophet like me will come, one who will continue to proclaim what God is doing right now. And it will not be a stranger, someone raised up from amongst the kin of Israel, someone who's part of the family, There are no, after all, in-law prophets. Though the prophet will come from the midst of Israel, says Moses, make no mistake, he will come with the word of God on his lips. We get the sense that when Moses promises this, when the Lord God through Moses promises this to his people, We're thinking about someone more than Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel. Because Moses was one of the greatest leaders of Israel. And if there's going to be a prophet like him, we should expect equally great things. Equally great signs. Equally great liberation. Jesus is that great prophet. Because he is the prophet of God's liberation. He declares what God is doing right now as he continues to preach up and down the towns of Galilee. He arises out of the family of Israel, which causes some consternation. If you remember elsewhere in the gospel, people complain, isn't this Joseph's kid? The carpenter's son? Where is he getting all of this? And isn't that the way with families? Who do you think you are? I changed your diapers. And the consternation comes because Jesus indeed comes speaking a message that is not what we expect to hear because he comes bringing God's message that he delivers as the people in Capernaum note with authority. And the word in Greek is exousia. Usia means substance, being. So from himself, from his own substance, from his own authority, Jesus speaks. And not like the scribes, he doesn't have a whole bunch of footnotes citing everybody else. And to prove his authority, to make known to people what God is doing right now, pay attention to what Mark, as a gospel writer, highlights. Because there's a lot you can say about Jesus. Matthew gives us the great teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Luke lays out the exquisite stories and parables that Jesus told. Mark. (laughs) Mark loves an action movie. He loves the excitement. And so, 
we pass over in summary form Jesus' teaching. He taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And that's all Mark has to say about Jesus' teaching. He doesn't get into the details. The detail that Mark is interested in is what Jesus does. And what Jesus does is prophetic. This act of exorcism, of driving out an unclean spirit, declares what God is doing right now. It is the end of all powers opposed to God and his kingdom. Even those unclean spirits listen to him and obey him. And notice where Jesus is doing his exorcism ministry. We might expect this to happen out there somewhere, you know, on the other side of the tracks, the bad part of town. Because that's where all the problems are. But Jesus is doing this in the synagogue. In the very heart of Israel's life of worship. He's doing it here. Because brothers and sisters, isn't it true that there are some unclean spirits in our own lives? Some things that we smuggle in right into the very heart of what makes us human. Some spirits of anger or pride or lust or greed. Those spirits of resentment and unforgiveness. Those spirits of exploitation and domination. That we try to baptize by our practice of faith and religion. But even those spirits which are burrowed in deep. Jesus drives out to establish that place of worship, that place of prayer as belonging wholly to God and his kingdom. He speaks, and it happens. Out of his own authority, arising out of the kin of Israel, yet speaking a message that they have never heard before, he prophesies the coming of God's power in his own person. And Jesus continues his prophetic work in our midst today. He liberates his people from every power opposed to the kingdom of God. Even those unclean spirits burrowed so deep in us, they smuggle themselves into our life of worship. We are called not to harden our hearts, not to double down on our sinfulness, Rather, the prophet wants us, as St. Paul says, to be anxious. Anxious about the love of God and the love of neighbor. The power of God is at work right now. This is not fantasy. This is no game. This is life. And we do not need a crystal ball to see it, but only our faith as God's free people. 